Good morning, everybody. Whoa. Is everybody awake? My name is Tom, and I lead our team here at Crossroads. And um, really, I mean, we're going to sound like broken records, but I want to say one more thing about, about SuperServe. Um, you got, we need to be aware as a community that God is doing something, right? He's doing something in us, and he's doing something through us. And the, the one thing that I want to share with you is before we were even done last weekend, we had been invited back to every place that we were at to serve again and to be with those folks again and to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in those environments. So um, that tells me that that's not just the work of like 90 people going out and, and doing something. That's God working through those 90 people and doing something. So God is on the move here at Crossroads. Rest, rest assured of that in things like SuperServe. All right, other logistical details. You should have all received one of these handy-dandy look up, lean in, reach out cards. If you did not, put your hand up and our ushers will run one out to you. You're also going to need a pen or a pencil or a crayon or some charcoal or some other sort of writing implement. I don't know, some artistic type might want to do charcoal. I don't know. <clears throat> so what this is, folks, is we are wrapping up our series called Love God, Love Others. And we're going we're gonna to ask that you think through this series, that you think through this, what you're about to hear this morning, and that you make some personal commitments to do something along the lines of looking up, leaning in, and reaching out. And I'll talk more specifically at the end about what some of those things might could be. That's how they say that where I'm used to live in Arkansas, might could be. Um, there are two halves to this card. One half you're going to keep, and the other half, the half you're going to put your name on, is going to get deposited in a, the tables in the back of the room towards the end of the service. And then we'll hand them back to you uh, in a little bit, month, six weeks, eight weeks, and um, we'll see how we did on, on our commitments. All right? So I'm going to do a quick review of the series just to refresh your memories or if you're just joining us for the first time, get you up to speed. And then we'll dive into this week's stuff and we'll take care of this business towards the end. But if you come up with something while I'm speaking, feel free to, to write it down. Our series, Love God and Love Others, we, we're basing this whole thing on the premise that when we become aware of the reality of who Jesus Christ is, along with becoming the, aware of the reality of who we are, we discover our purpose. Now, this is not my original idea. Very smart guy by the name of John Calvin, lived a long time ago, um, said, said this. Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So it is just, it's not just important, but it is the absolute best thing you can do for yourself. You know, there's this term that gets thrown around a lot these days, self-care, self-care, self-care. One of the most important things you can do is this, is figure out who the God of the Bible is and figure out who you are in relationship to him and how he feels about you. And once you get a hold of those two things, then your purpose becomes clear. And what I've been suggesting since the first of the year is that that purpose, not, we've been saying this forever here, is love God, love others. When you discover the reality of yourself, the reality of God, you become to realize that 
we were put here as individuals, we were put here as a community to love God and to love others. And the best way to do that, that we've discovered to do that, is by imitating Jesus. And Jesus looked up, he leaned in, and he reached out. We've been defining looking up as Bible study, worship, generosity, and prayer. And we spent a good deal of time talking about this idea of worship, and that means responding to who God is, to his greatness and his glory, 24-7 with everything that we have, think, say, and do. Right, so the idea around worship was response. That was the big, the big idea there. And then we talked about this idea of leaning in, leaning in to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the big idea there was that we meet Jesus and we discover community in the midst of the messes of life and as we try to carry out the mission of Jesus. And in order to do those things, we need to be vulnerable, we need to be authentic, and we need to be courageous. And the way all those things, three things get wrapped up is in this idea of speaking up. We speak up to say, hey man, I need help. I'm hurting and I need somebody to come alongside me. Or we speak up and we say, I got you. I can help. I'm in a good spot right now and I can serve you. And we speak up and we say, you know what? Jesus has done a work in my life and you need to know about it because it's going to encourage you. And we finish out the series this morning by talking about the idea of reaching out. And reaching out means going to those who are poor in resources, like we just spent all the time talking about SuperServe, and going to those who are poor in spirit. And that's what we're going to concentrate on this morning. Our big idea this morning is this. A personal encounter with Jesus is eternity-altering. Not just life-changing, but eternity-altering. Jesus calls each of us to play a significant role in someone else's encounter. And the way we're going to dive into this is by looking at a passage found in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So the way we're going to dive into this passage is we're going to basically look at the cast of characters. We're going to look at Jesus and the things that he said and did. We're going to look at the Pharisees. We're going to look at the disciples. And then finally, we're going to look at Matthew. And then from there, we're going to try and extrapolate some stuff what we can learn about reaching out and how we can play a role in somebody else's encounter with, with Jesus. Excuse me for one second. I'm parched. That's much better. Okay, so Jesus, in this encounter with Matthew and this group of Pharisees and tax collectors and Jesus' disciples, first thing that we should recognize is this, is that Jesus went to Matthew. Matthew was sitting in his office at his tax collector's booth, and Jesus went to him. Not only did Jesus go to him, but he went after his heart. He didn't want to just like get to know Matthew at a surfacey level. He wanted to be involved in Matthew's life, and he wanted Matthew involved in, in his life. 
if we look at this dinner that, that Matthew threw, it was in Jesus' honor. It was for Jesus. But a couple of the phrases in there, they said, you know, Jesus reclined at the table. They were at this dinner together. So it was, um, when a dinner like this took place, it was the guest of honor, and it was the guest of honor kind of showing their approval of the host. So Jesus comes along, and he steps into Matthew's life, and he's like, I want to be with you, and I want people, I want people to know that I want to be with you. Jesus did all this fully aware of, of who Matthew was. He had the knowledge of Matthew's struggles and his hurts. He had the knowledge of his dreams and his goals. He had knowledge of his gifts and talents and abilities. Jesus had the knowledge of the stuff that Matthew didn't want anybody to know about, the embarrassing stuff, the shameful stuff. Jesus knew each and every scar that Matthew had. Jesus knew each and every piece of baggage that Matthew carried. And the same is true. Jesus has that level of knowledge of you and me. And he doesn't come to us in spite of those things. He comes to us because of those things. He comes to us because he wants to give us a new heart. He wants to give us his heart so that we can become more like him, so that we can live the life that we were intended to live. The reality of God that we discover in this passage is that Jesus is the great physician. He comes with the right diagnosis. He comes with the cure. He comes with the, the post-op therapy plan. And all that requires of us is acknowledging that, yeah, Jesus, you're right. You got the right diagnosis. And I need, I need your help. That's the reality of God that we discover in this passage. As we discover, unpack the reality of us as, as humans, we're going to start by looking at the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were religious leaders, they were teachers. Um, but so Jesus had like, Jesus on one hand applauded them for the zeal with which they tried to maintain their moral standards. Unfortunately, that's kind of where the Pharisees stopped. They thought being good people, that their morality was what was going to um, what is what set them apart from other people and made them better from other people. It led them to pride. It led them to feelings of exclusivity. It led them to look down on a whole bunch of people that did not deserve to be looked down upon. Uh, another very smart man, pastor down south, his name is Charles Stanley. Is it coming? Ian, could you put up? There we go. Um, this is kind of a, a, a nutshell of the way the Pharisees went about their deal. Dutiful religious activity means nothing without personal surrender to the Lord. So they were, they were doing good stuff, but they, their hearts weren't in the right place. 
And what's really interesting about this is that if, if you've read the gospel stories, the um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus' three years of active ministry, the Pharisees are kind of always around Jesus. They're always with him. And they're always taking like little shots at him and they're trying to bring him down and trip him up. And um, Jesus doesn't, never sends him away. Like he has harsh, really direct words for him. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus knew them every bit as, he, as well as he knew Matthew. And he wanted to be in their lives every bit as much as he wanted to be in Matthew's life. Jesus' desire for us is that whether we're far from God or we think we're near to God, he wants us all to actually be near to him. He knew the Pharisees at the same level of depth and intimacy that he knew Matthew, except the Pharisees, they didn't recognize who Jesus was. They didn't acknowledge that who he was who he said he was, and they certainly didn't acknowledge their need for him. We're going to look at the disciples. Whoops, that's not what we're going to look at. Um, so the disciples were Jesus' followers. They're, Jesus is, is kind of collecting this group of what ends up being 12 guys. And more or less to each of them, he comes up and he says, follow me. And they all, in their own kind of way, stop what they're doing, and, and they, they follow him. Jesus was leading them into some really tricky, tricky waters. The, the things that he was asking them to do um, violated ritual purity laws. In other words, it was religiously uncool. He was taking them to, like, bad parts of town, hanging out with bad people, just generally uncool. But they acknowledged who Jesus was, and they followed him. And as a result, they ended up being the 12 men who turned the world upside down and changed the trajectory of, of history because they were willing to follow him where he went. And the, the disciples are like, maybe more than anything in the Gospels, what give me so much hope. Because these guys started out as knuckleheads. And Jesus took them and transformed them into this movement that, like I said, changed the face of history. And if we let him, Jesus will do the same thing in us. Right? We come to him. He meets us where we're at. But he doesn't, doesn't leave us there. After the heart surgery that he does on us, he begins to do, do things like give us new sight and new vision so we can see people through a different lens, so we can see people through the eyes of grace and mercy and forgiveness, and we can see people through the eyes of compassion and empathy. We can see people who need second and third and fourth chances. And that's the work that Jesus can and will do in us if we let him, if we submit to him, if we say, Jesus, you're absolutely right, and then follow him. 
And that's, that's Matthew's story. So Matthew was a tax collector. He was sitting in his office at his tax collector's booth. And we've kind of covered a fair number of tax collectors over the, feels like the last eight weeks. But just as a reminder, tax collectors were not well-liked people. I go so far as to say they were hated because they were thieves and they were traitors. They were employed by the occupying Roman government to collect taxes. But they could collect as much as they wanted to, as long as they gave Rome what Rome asked for. Everything else they took was, was for them. Um, so he was just not a well-liked guy. But we know that he has some friends because he, they, they, gathered, they gathered at his house. So probably says other tax collectors and the word is sinners that the, the Bible translated there. So that's kind of who, what we know about Matthew. We also know that previous to this encounter with Matthew, like the Jesus ruckus had been going on. Jesus had just healed a man that was paralyzed. And the way that he healed him was that this guy's four friends carried him to Jesus, cut a hole in the roof of the building where Jesus was because they couldn't get in through the front door because it was so crowded. They lowered him into the building, and Jesus not only healed him, but he forgave his sins. Then Jesus went on to exercise some demons that were bothering some, some people. This is all in Matthew's town, right where Matthew lived, right what's going on. And then people got wind of this, and they brought everybody who had any kind of ailment and malady, they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus healed them. And so we don't know if, like, Matthew's taking note of this or not. We do know that he's still doing his tax collector thing, and he's not following Jesus. And then Jesus shows up, and he knocks on the door of Matthew's office. And Matthew has a personal encounter with the God of the universe. Matthew, come follow me. Okay, let's go. Jesus will do that. Sometimes he works over the course of time. Sometimes he breaks in in just these, these miraculous ways. So Matthew literally got up and followed Jesus. But also, metaphorically, he followed Jesus. We're talking about that transformation of having Jesus' eyes and being able to see and think and act and live and love the way that Jesus did. So Matthew, but Matthew didn't stop being Matthew. They're going, Matthew threw a party. right? I kind of get the feeling that this is what, what Matthew did. When you look at the people who were there, Matthew invited his friends. And then he invited Jesus and his friends. And then the Pharisees showed up. And it's kind of got this vibe like, hey, Matthew's parents are away for a weekend. He's having Jesus and some people over. Let's go hang out. It's just like this really eclectic group of people that shows up that shows up at this dinner. And because Matthew, because Jesus invited Matthew to follow him, and then because Matthew invited friends over to a dinner party with Jesus, all of those people, those who thought they were close to Jesus, those who were far from Jesus and knew it, they all had an opportunity to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Invitation, right? Parties don't happen without invitation. Jesus' invitation to Matthew, Matthew's invitation to his friends. So 
there's a group called Lifeway Research, and they, um, they study the things that surround Christianity and, and how Christianity grows and why it doesn't grow, where it's not growing, and they shared some of these numbers. Across people who consider themselves followers of Jesus, only 20% of us will invite somebody to church. Right, so just to, to make that easy, right, if there's five people, that means only one of them is gonna invite somebody to church. But what's really interesting about that is this group Lifeway also interviewed a bunch of people who haven't been to church in the last 12 months. 80% of them said that if somebody invited them to come to church, they would attend, right? So again, make that easy, 80%. If there's five of them, that means four of them would attend. It's as simple as extending an invitation. And it sounds hard and it sounds scary, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I think two of the things that get in our way sometimes, um, well, the biggest thing is us. We get in our own way. And it happens in two ways. One, we think, oh, well, I, you know, if we have a church background, it might be like, well, I'm not an evangelist. There are people, that, that's their gifting and that's, that's their job. They will, they will do the inviting and, and telling about, that's, that's their thing. I'll just do, do my thing. Every one of us is responsible for representing Jesus well and for expanding his kingdom. And the most tactical, tangible, readily available thing we have is a simple invite to church. The other thing that kind of ties into that is the thought of, well, I, I don't know enough about Jesus or church or stuff. Jesus used Matthew right where he was. Matthew, come follow me. They're having dinner at his house that night. Matthew's inviting people to come meet Jesus. It's really a, a phenomenal thing. We'll go to a new restaurant. We'll see a movie. We'll read a new book. We'll go on a trip. And we'll tell people about it till we're blue in the face and they're tired of hearing about it. But we meet the God of the universe, the Savior of our souls, who wants nothing more than to know your friends and your family, my friends and my family, at a deep and personal way. But we, we withhold back on that. And we're hesitant to, to do something as simple as extend that invitation. And uh, so I was thinking about this, and I saw this video clip a really long time ago. I didn't, I didn't grab the whole clip. I just grabbed the quote. But there is a, um, there's an entertainer, a magician, storyteller, guy's name is Penn Jillette. He's part of a comedy team, whatever, Penn and Teller. And he's an atheist. He's hardcore, outspoken atheist. But he kind of has this, on a, he has a, a vlog, um, and he goes on this rant about how if, if, you, if you're a Christian, why are you not telling me about Jesus? Why would you, and the way he put it was, um, was this, if I can find the right slide. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? I mean, that's like, yikes. And so somebody who, who is, doesn't believe in Jesus, 
is outspoken against things of all faith. But that, like, okay, let's stop and think about that for a second. I, I have the gift of life. The gift of life has been given to me. And with this, something as simple as an invitation, I can share that. We have, we have a great, great opportunity. So really practically speaking, um, the way that I've seen this, I've experienced this, Thursday or Friday, I'm at the gym talking to a, a parent of a, my, uh, one of my kid's friends. Um, so what are you doing this weekend? And they'll, they'll respond, tell me what they're doing. Usually the response is, how about you? What are you doing? Not much. Got some stuff to do with the kids on Saturday, quiet evening at home. And we're going to church on Sunday. You want to come with us? Or if you don't know the person that well and you're like, okay, going to church on Sunday and just let it hang. And if they change the subject, okay, no big deal. If they're like, oh, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to Crossroads. It's an amazing preacher, really young, good-looking guy. <clears throat> um, that wasn't funny. That was... But it, really, it could be just, just that simple. We all have relationships already with people that we love and we care about, that we know, that we see on a daily basis, that don't yet know Jesus. And it could be just that simple as an invitation. So there's the active way to do that. Um, there's a passive way to do that too. Right? There's a passive way to invite people to life with Jesus. And that's in the way that we conduct ourselves. Everything that we do in any circle that we're in should cast a greater light on Jesus and not put him in a dark shadow. It should be an invitation and not a discouragement. And I'll give you one, one quick example. Um, there was, I had the opportunity to observe two different uh, social media conversations recently. They were both about the same subject. One of them, people reading, participating in, observing, conversation one, I am 100% sure they walked away from that conversation and they thought, judgy, self-righteous Christians, typical, typical, typical. Conversation B, huh, I've never really heard that put that way. Maybe I could actually have a conversation with that person about this issue. Same, and the, the two Christians, same viewpoint. They're on the same side of the discussion, same side of the argument. But the way they conducted themselves was vastly, vastly different. One of them shined a greater light on Jesus and served as an invitation. One of them was a discouragement and shoved Jesus further into the shadows. The way we conduct ourselves is just as much an invitation as, hey, want to come to church with me this week? Um, so I will wrap up with this. This uh, look up, lean in, reach out. Reach out is the hardest one and the one that we have to be most intentional about. When I started working for Crossroads 18 years ago, this is something that Rich taught me right off the bat, that we, like, this is the one that we have to most intentionally, most conscientiously keep our foot on the gas pedal. 
because otherwise we will retreat into a holy little huddle where it's nice and comfortable and we can just be, be safe and instead of we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and through his eyes see those who need to know him and see those who are poor in spirit. So we're going to be talking lots about this. We're going to be doing a teaching series that's going to start um, around the beginning of April and it's all around uh, skeptics' questions. It's based on a book written by a skeptic who now pastors a church for skeptics and it's all about those hard questions um, about sex and evil and suffering and isn't Christianity exclusive and we're going to spend you know, eight or so weeks talking about, talking about those things and that is a great opportunity to invite your friends and your family to come hear what the Bible has to say about those things and hopefully a non-threatening safe space. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up our time with a couple of different things. I'm gonna ask the band to, to come back up and we're gonna give you guys a, a moment to, to fill out your cards. Um, to give you kind of a summary of those of those things, right? Look up. It's this idea of responding. How is it? Oh, let's, let's be even more specific. I want you to pick one area of your life where you normally wouldn't consider it as a response to Jesus. And I want you to think about, okay, how can I, how can I respond to Jesus in that setting? What is it that I can do to shine a greater light on Jesus in that setting? Another way to look at that is um, how much of my day can I spend thinking about, in communication with, focused on Jesus? Right? I know we all have jobs. We all got to go to school. We all have stuff, stuff to do. But Jesus wants to be involved in every part of that, and we can do every part of that for him. That's a response. I'm trying to give you different ways to, to go at this. Lean in. The idea of speak up. This, this one's easier. Speak up. Say you, if you need help, say so. Talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to your community group leader. Talk to your youth group leader. If you can help, speak up. If you have resources, if you can cook, if you can drive, whatever it is, whether you feel like it's a specific, specific skill and talent, or maybe you just have a willing set of hands and strong shoulders, right? Gifted or not, speak up and say so. And then the last part of that speak up is let us know how, what Jesus is doing in your life, what he's doing in and through you. And then maybe if you feel up to it, we can share it with the community. So you might encourage somebody else through that. And the last part, the reach out, is I want you to invite somebody to church. Maybe, maybe right away there's a name that came, oh, I know, I, right, got it. So maybe you're going to spend the first part of these couple of weeks asking Jesus to show you who that person is. Right? We're all around people who don't know him every day. But Jesus is already at work in somebody's life who you see every, I guarantee it, Jesus is at work around somebody's life 
who you see every day that needs to know his grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. One thing for look up, one thing for lean in, one thing for reach out. You're going to fill out both sides of the card and the side with your name on it. In just a minute, you're going to drop in the basket at the back of the room. Okay? Sounds a lot like schoolwork, I know, I'm sorry, but this is going to be worth it. And we get to celebrate communion together today. The story of, of Jesus calling Matthew culminates around a table. And we get to do, very similarly, we get to meet Jesus around the communion table. When, when Jesus was getting ready to, to suffer and die, um, he gathered his friends together and he told them, I want you to do this. I want you to share this meal after I'm gone. I want you to share this meal and remembrance of me. And maybe, maybe this morning you're here and you're in a spot like the Pharisees were and you thought you had it all figured out and you hadn't acknowledged Jesus for who he is or realized where you're at. Maybe the reality of who you are and your need of Jesus is, is God is shedding a light on that for you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you've already acknowledged that Jesus is who he says he is and that I need him. And that you want, you want him to work in and through you. You want him to transform your heart and give you new eyes so that you can see people like he sees them and that you can share his love with them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in Matthew's shoes and you didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. And maybe in a, in a handshake that happened in the lobby, maybe in a song that we sang earlier, maybe God spoke to you in something that I said that you came to the realization that you want and that you need Jesus Christ in your life. Join us at this table this table, this banquet table of Jesus where he's the guest of honor and he's showing approval. When we come to him and we say we're sorry and we need you, he shows his approval of us just like he did with Matthew.